Cheers. We're just really pleased that you're with us. And uh, we hope you enjoy looking in upon what is a bit of a family event in lots of ways. But also, as we look at God's word, we're looking at Jesus. And there's something for us all to see in him and his life and what he has done for us. So we pray that you enjoy uh, this morning's meeting from that perspective as well. So we are unapologetically going to be talking about giving this morning. And as we do that, we're going to kind of dip out of the series we've been doing this year, looking at the book of Matthew, and instead looking at the book of Acts, and Acts chapter 4. So if you have a Bible with you, feel free to turn there, or grab your phone and, and swipe to your, the correct app, the correct app, and uh, get yourself ready for that. And uh, we're going to be specifically talking about a slightly lesser known character in the Bible, a guy called Barnabas, and uh, looking at his life. Now, we don't, he doesn't get lots of mentions, but he is a quite an important dude. And so we're going to look at his life and looking at what it means to be more Barnabas. What is it like to be more Barnabas? Uh, re- the reality is his life gets dwarfed uh, by the lives of other uh, characters in the book of Acts. People like Paul and Peter and John and James. Uh, but he's vital in terms of learning what it is to be a believer and uh, do church and do mission. So as we look at Barnabas' life this morning, I'm praying that God stirs our hearts to give big to our work with other churches overseas and other things that we're going to give to this morning. To help us with that, to help frame it, I'm going to show us the gift day video uh, one more time. I feel really privileged. Uh, I get the opportunity of seeing the cities where we've been starting churches and working with churches over the last few years and it's like watching a a dream being fulfilled in front of your eyes Uh, in Berlin in Amsterdam in Ottawa uh, in London uh, where we started working with Emmanuel in uh, Greenwich and Newcross it's it's so encouraging to see something that God spoke to you about years ago beginning to be fulfilled uh, in in a very uh, substantial way I mean, back on Easter Sunday, we had 250 people with us at Amsterdam. We couldn't get a seat in the building. This is exciting. God is doing something, and it's been a privilege to watch him do it. top of all that we've got new adventures coming up we are sending Janusz and Camilla to set themselves up in Krakow in Poland with a view to starting a church there in the near future uh, we've got Kenny and Nicola Makush currently at the marina site in Brighton uh, going off to start a church in Belfast and we're already uh, gathering leaders over the the different cities that we work together in and so we want to make sure that we support those opportunities to gather leaders as well and then on top of everything else as a team of churches we have the privilege of of running new day and uh, new day is literally one of the most extraordinary and inspiring things that happens on the british isles at the moment 
that is not an exaggeration. Just nearly 8,000 young people gathering to worship Jesus and have their lives changed. We get to run it, we get to support it. So we are on a journey and it is exciting, but it's a journey that calls devotion and sacrifice out of us. I'm praying for the ability to give more for this gift day than I did last year. I'm praying for the ability to, to give more than I've budgeted for, because I believe in this, because it's Jesus Church, because it's what's going to last forever and we get a chance in this lifetime to help establish it. Let's, let's be wholehearted. Let's, let's give and let's give with all of our hearts to this great cause. Exciting one to give to, seeing all that we're involved in uh, elsewhere. So yeah, supporting our churches in Amsterdam and uh, Berlin and Ottawa. I should just say, uh, we support these churches not just by giving money, we support them by um, uh, just really helping to establish them, train their leaders, get leaders in place. In fact, Joel, who's kind of does the lion's share of preaching here on a Sunday, he's actually preaching in Berlin uh, this morning. He could even be doing it right now. Uh, gone to serve uh, those guys this weekend. And uh, actually through the season, we'll be sending various people to serve Berlin because Neville, who used to do my role here at Emmanuel, uh, he has been leading that on now for a few years, but he's just taking a, a brief break for a month or so. And uh, well, just him and Sue have been running hard, serving excellently there, take some time out. It'd be great if you know them to be praying for them as they have that time to themselves and with God, uh, so they go back refreshed uh, for the, the new term in the autumn. Also pray for us as we continue to support them from afar and for Joel as he travels back and forth, etc. Uh, we mentioned also London this morning in the video. We mentioned the two churches that are in the shoot ready to go. We mentioned New Day. Uh, but there's also something else that we're giving to uh, with, the, with this gift day. We've not put in the video. And that is uh, Sri Lanka and the churches there. You'll know back in uh, Easter, Easter Sunday, uh, there were some atrocities uh, committed there uh, where the churches were targeted uh, with various bombings and lots of people lost their life. The day she'd been celebrating Jesus' resurrection was full of all kinds of grief. And at the time, as a church, we responded by praying uh, for them. And, uh, but we've uh, hadn't now got an opportunity to also support them practically. We have a church member in our site called Mohan, many of you all know, uh, but his brother actually pastors one of the churches there that, were, that was affected. Uh, he wasn't there at the time, uh, but his own home and the, their church minibus was uh, set alight. And uh, many in, in their church lost their life, including many children. And uh, we just said, how practically can we help you? How can we practically be involved? And they said, well, actually, the minibus is a big part of what they do in terms of ministry. Could we help them buy another one? And we said, yes, we'd love to be able to be part of that as well. So some of our money today, we're going to support those guys there as well. 
Hopefully there's lots of good reasons for us to give. Uh, but let's get back to the Word of God as well and look at the life of Barnabas and look at see what we can learn from his life. And more to the point, what can we learn from what Jesus does in his life? So we'll do that from Acts chapter 4, verse 32 to 37. Let me read it to you. Now, the full number of those who believe were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who is also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, and Levi, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for just the opportunity to open your word together. I pray help each of us just to uh, learn something this morning uh, that might shape our thinking, but also shape our lives. Holy Spirit, we, come, we pray, come and do a work in us, uh, Lord, that we just wouldn't continue in our direction, Lord God, but we would follow you as our leader and as the one who loves us more than we'll ever be able to get our heads around, Lord. We know that the way you lead us is into goodness. And even where it means giving away and being sacrificial, we know ultimately it's good if you're leading us into it. So just pray for each heart around the room right now that you might just settle us, help us to just hear what you want to say. Yes, listen to my words, but more importantly, listen to what you are saying to each of us. There might be that prophetic element of your Holy Spirit doing a work uh, in the room. Amen. Amen. So long story short, the early church was filled with the Holy Spirit, loved each other, cared for the poorest members of the community to the point of selling their own possessions. And then Barnabas is held up as an example of this, of one who sold his field. But what has that got to do with us? What has that got to do with Gift Day? Well, before I get into my four short points about it, let me give you a bit more context. This, uh, when we look at the uh, book of Acts, the whole thing is done in the context of the mission that Jesus has given them. We see at the end of Matthew 28, the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, he commissions his disciples. He commissions his apostles. Apostles simply meaning sent ones. Saying to them, this is what you're to do. You're to go to the city, to the cities around you and to the ends of the earth, making disciples of all people, baptising them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them all the things that I've commanded you. So they're very clearly given something to do. Jesus is going away, but he's saying, I'm giving you a task to do. And then the, the beginning of the Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of these people, uh, they reiterate this. Luke says, Jesus told them again, you are going to testify about me around here and to the ends of the earth. So whenever we look at the book of Acts and anything we see in it, we must see it in the context of this commission, this great mission that the church and the disciples and the apostles are given. And that is given and passed down to us as well. So that's going to Acts 1. In Acts 2, we see the early church and established. Jesus is gone and the Holy Spirit comes and floods the people. The place shakes, fire falls upon them. And where they were a timid people, they're suddenly a lion-hearted, bold people, beginning to testify to what Jesus has done. And even on that first day, as they speak about him with great boldness, 3,000 people are added to the church. That's a good day for the church. 
But as well as that, we then go on to read Acts 2, this wonderful picture, kind of window into what the early church was like. I have to say it's one of my favourite passages uh, in the Bible. I love considering what does that mean for us. It's in Acts 2, kind of describes how they're devoted to God's Word, devoted to praying and devoted to one another. And they live in this joyous place of sharing with each other, doing daily life with one another. It's a real provocation for us as a church. Authentic community, living as Jesus would want us to. And so this early church commissioned, start work, kind of living and doing life together. And then Acts chapter 3, they start doing some cool stuff. So Peter and John come across a lame man and they see him healed. Lame from birth, suddenly walking and dancing and praising God. And so what should have been a cause of real celebration, the Jewish officials felt threatened by. Who are these people with this message? Who are these people with this power? And so they arrest the disciples. And they begin to accuse them and question them, but quickly find out, how do you accuse and question people who are doing good things? But still, they feel threatened. And so they threaten them in return. They say, Don't you dare tell anyone else about this Jesus. Keep calm. Stop getting so excited. And so the disciples, they listen to them, walk away and utterly ignore it. And uh, I feel a bit like that when people tell me what to do. I'm a natural rebel and uh, God's doing a work on me, so I'm less so. But when I see the do not walk on the grass or wet paint don't touch, I'm like, how wet? You know, so you, some of you in the room are like, yes, I'm like that. Some of you are more compliant, well done. Uh, but I'm a bit like, but disciples are definitely like this. They're like, wet paint, what wet paint? Like, no, we want to preach Jesus. We know what we are called to do. And so they go away straight away. They have a prayer meeting. What they pray, they say, God, make us bolder. Let us speak clearly. Give us even more signs of wonder so we can have more excuses to talk about how amazing and wonderful you are. And God responds by sending his Holy Spirit again. Very like Pentecost, very like Acts 2, where the Holy Spirit comes and the place is shaken again. And they know God's presence amongst them. And what happens? Well, we see this passage happen. They become unified in one heart and one soul, committed again to the mission and testifying about Jesus, and also taking care of the needs of those around them. So let's have a look at this community and let's look at Barnabas within it. So I've got four points. The first one is, it was a unified community. It says in verse 32, now the full number of those who believed, the whole church who believed, were of one heart and soul. It's quite a statement. Could I say about us in this room, we're of one heart and soul? Mm, I don't know. But the Bible calls attention to it because it is quite a remarkable, astonishing thing. That these people, were, they didn't just kind of subscribe to the same religious philosophy. No, they were coming together and they were going to live this faith out. Not just in word, but in deed as well. They are people of powerful words, yes, but it's vitally linked with acts of service. Faith is seen in all of life, how we think and feel, but also in how we live, how we relate to one another, and also what we do with what is in our hands. Knowing Jesus truly, truly changes us. One of the ways it changes them is to bind them together. Where people naturally, we seek our own ways, seek our own interests. We're naturally selfish people looking at the world from our point of view. What's in our hearts? Now what happens is we come together with one heart, one soul, one priority. And this was particularly countercultural back then for them. 
we might not see the kind of nuance of it, but for them to come into a community and say, no, I'm heart and soul with this tribe, this community, meant that they've also got to say goodbye to the other tribe and community. That doesn't mean they were totally out of it. doesn't mean they left their families behind. But when they're, they're kind of heart and soul and financially now in with another community, it would have been left others kind of scorning them, saying, what are you doing? Why are you baptising this other thing? It's not how we've brought you up. It's not a thing you pass up not enough. And you're saying, no, Jesus is what I'm now living for. His community is what I'm now living for. Now, it maybe doesn't kind of charm us in the same way because we live in a kind of very global society where one generation to the next, we move to different communities, do different life in different ways, subscribe to different value systems from our, maybe our parents from, from the place we grew up. But for them in the first century, that was massively countercultural. But it doesn't mean there isn't something countercultural for us as well. Because what did they then do? They then laid, they then sold their stuff and then they laid it at the apostles' feet, at the feet of those in organised religion. Well, that smacks against what we would do here in 21st century Brighton, doesn't it? Let me read something from Phil Moore, who's a, a friend of our church and wrote a commentary on Acts. He says this, These Christians were not merely giving to each other as they saw need. They were doing something far more radical than that. They were bringing their money and laying it at the apostles' feet, trusting their God-anointed leadership to allocate it to those in greatest need. They weren't just philanthropists who gave their fortunes in their own name to their own favourite courses. They brought their money to God's leaders with no strings attached because their giving to the needy was primarily a gift to the Lord himself, administered by the leaders he had chosen. That sense of freedom saying, you know, I'm going to give my money to the leaders and uh, not in one sense hold them to account on it. Now, it is important to hold them to account. You're very welcome to ask where your money goes to when you give it to the church. There's something in the heart that said, no, we trust you, Jesus, with our lives. We trust you with the church. We trust you with the leaders that you've given us to. But I'm not, I want to just give a headline saying, look, that is difficult for us to swallow. That is not our society. I've talked to many people over my years who are just skeptical of organized religion because they see corruption at the top and not without cause. We see leaders all the time abusing the power they have. And even historically, that is true of the church. We can't say, but the church has always had a perfect track record. No, it has not. But that does not change the provocation that's in here. That we're to trust those that God has put in place. This was much easier message to preach when I wasn't one of the elders here. <laughs> it feels a bit awkward saying, hey, trust me because I'm God anointed. But you know what? Trust me. God has called me to this. He's called your elders to do this. And we take this responsibility very seriously. We take it prayerfully, knowing that we stand before you, but we also stand before God on this. And we, when we're looking at where does the money go for gift day, where does the money go regularly, we're doing it in a way, just saying, God, help us. We want to do this right. And as an elder, I've come into a church which has been going 40 years and watched uh, men and women lead this church well and get to follow in their footsteps. And uh, have they spent every penny perfectly? Probably not. Uh, in fact, definitely not. But have they sought to do it prayerfully and faithfully, trusting God? Yes. And as, is that how we continue to do it? Yes, it is. One of our core values here at Emmanuel is Jesus leads the church. He leads it by prayer. He leads it through his word and he leads it by giving us leaders that we can follow. Leaders who follow Jesus that we can follow. Are you a member here? Are you all in? Are you heart and soul? Or if you are a member, does it really mean something to you? Saying, so, you know, this is my church. I love the vision and mission that we're a part of. 
I want to keep learning more. How can I be involved? How can I you know, line up in terms of how that works? I find coming to prayer meetings is one of the best ways to do that. I remember when I first was here at the church, just learning to pray with the leaders here. You're saying, wow, this is what the heartbeat of the church is. This is what they love. This is, this is the Jesus that they love. This is also what Jesus has called us to do. <clears throat> Learning about the things that are burning with us. God spoke to us a few years back about uh, the story from David where David picks up, picks up five smooth stones to slay Goliath and spoke to us about, hey, you need to have five sites in this city, which we now have. You need five cities in which to reach out to, which we're on the way to. So actually, that's what we're part of. That's who, uh, that becomes part of my prayer life. Are you in, in that way? Do you feel connected to the leadership in that way? Let me encourage you, get along to prayer meetings and pray. Say, Holy Spirit, come and fill me that I might be one heart and soul with my brothers and sisters in this church. So a unified community. It was also a loving community. Verse 34 says this, there is not a needy Percy, person, Percy, person among them. <clears throat> Can I just point out that I said philanthropist? Well, thank you. Uh, there is not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. They were of one heart and soul. This was a fundamental solidarity of love, which was the, between the believers, and they enjoyed it with one another. <clears throat> but this also kind of bled into their economic sharing. It was just kind of one expression of this. Yes, they prayed together. Yes, they studied word together. Yes, they lived life together. But it also meant they wanted to share in what they had. And uh, this is a new concept that is introduced here at Acts 4, even at Acts 2. This harks right back to when God spoke to his people in Deuteronomy. He said, I don't want there to be a needy person among you. The benefit of this community is that as you love me, you love one another. And that should lead to you being compassionate to the needy amongst you. And so they begin to realise this. They begin to work this out freshly as those with faith and with the power of the Holy Spirit in their life. And then Luke goes on to say, hey, that's what was happening generally. But then he gives two examples. He gives one positive and he gives one negative. We're not preaching negative one today really, but it's worth mentioning it. Because in chapter five, just over the page, we get the story of Ananias and Sapphira. And so they gave to the apostles. They laid something at the apostles' feet, but it was not because they were unified in heart and soul. It wasn't because they were part of their loving community. No, they were doing it out of selfishness. They were doing it out of pride. They wanted people to say, hey, look, we're giving of our all to this as well. Aren't we wonderful? But in their heart, it was wrong. It was a wrong motive. And it got exposed because they didn't actually give it all. They only gave a portion. And uh, Peter's very clear with them. He said, you didn't need to give it all. You could have given a portion, that would have been fine. But because there was pride in your heart, hey, some bad stuff's going to happen to you. Your homework is to go and look and find out what happens. But he also states it positively. He says, Barnabas, look at this guy. He takes his field and sells it because he's heart and soul with uh, the apostles. And because he wants to help the needy and care for those who are there and wants to help the mission. And uh, this passage can seem, well, this seems very extreme. Is this how we're meant to be as a community? Are we meant to go now and sell everything that we have and lay all the money at the apostles' feet, the elders' feet, and it distributed equally? Well, yes and no. I think in one sense it is meant to be a provocation to look at what we have and realise that ultimately it's not ours, it's God's. And saying, God, what is it you want me to do with what I have? Have you ring-fenced anything in your life and saying, but God, you can't have that? A good question to ask God. It's a brave question to ask God. But equally, 
this picture we see in Acts 2 and Acts 4 is not a picture we then see repeated right through the rest of the New Testament. Actually, different communities worked out in a different way, but the principle applies. Taking care of the needy within the church and also without it, outside it as well. Motivated, motivated by a love for Jesus. Motivated by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's creating in them. But it's not instituting some kind of Christian communism. It's not saying you must do this, this and this. No, the very fact that Peter was, Peter was able to say to Anais and Sapphira, hey, that was yours. You can choose what to do with it. And the very fact that it holds up Barnabas's kind of volunteer uh, attitude. It wasn't saying, oh, Barnabas fulfilled the commandment to give. No, no. Out of the overflow of love, he gave it. And that's the principle that we're to take on. I'm in a privileged position here in the church. I get to hear lots of the stories about how this is done in this church. I see it all the time where people take this seriously, looking after each other's needs. Here's just a few examples for you. A story from another site uh, in Emmanuel uh, where uh, the community spotted that one of their uh, their sisters was a bit burnt out. So, hey, why don't you take a holiday? And they're like, yeah, sure, sure, yeah, should do it at some point. And after a while, I was saying, hey, look, you still seem rushed. Have you, have you booked on holiday yet? Yeah, they're like, no, no, sure, sure, yeah, at some point, at some point. Eventually, someone said, look, why are you not taking holiday? They're like, I can't afford to take a holiday. So oh, maybe we could help you pay for a holiday. And they're like, that's not what I mean. I can't really afford the time of work to go on holiday. I said, oh, okay, well, let's, let's pray for you. So they prayed, oh, God, would you provide? So I did the praying bit. They also did the sly bit on the side as well. And just, just just discreetly, just ask a few people, say, hey, look, I'd love to help this person have a holiday. Please can you help us buy a holiday and also pay her daily rate for while she's gone? And they club together and just bless her, say, hey, look, here's your holiday and uh, we're basically going to employ you for those days. So you're employed and you get to go on holiday. Just acts of love for one another. I know there's lots of times food is a great way in which we bless each other in in our community in times of grief. And uh, when we lose people, I know often that those moments, people just gather around and say, hey, look, can I cook a meal for you? No, life's tough right now. Or times of birth as well. New mums and new dads, just in those moments, I know just we try as much as possible to get around them and different ways we can support them. And I had a great story uh, just a few years back uh, from a couple that used to be part of this site, uh, Lucinda Morrison. Uh, and those guys are back in Australia now. Uh, but when she was uh, pregnant, the midwife met with her and was very aware that her family weren't here in Brighton. I was saying, you know, what are you going to do about you know, support network? Are you going to be okay? Have you got people around you to help? And she said, well, I'm actually part of a church. And I'm like, which, which church is that? So, oh, it was CCK at the time, but now Emmanuel. And, and the middle was like, oh, okay, no worries. And she said, oh, I've heard about you lot. I've heard about your church. You'll be fine. And it was such a ringing endorsement. Like, wow, our community does it well. Now, a midwife who's not in church, you know, has no kind of personal first-hand experience, knows that when she meets people from Emmanuel, they're well taken care of. Now, you may say same thinking, I'm not being well taken care of. No, we still took the ball. We need to get better at this all the time. But I know there is a pattern there where we take care of our community. And that's important. And we must do that at a micro level. And if, if from this message you take that away and think, okay, I want to do more of that, that would be a great application of today. But we also have the privilege of doing this on a kind of macro level taking care of our community in a wider sense, our community of churches. We've got three churches that we started up in the last few years in varying places of need in reality. The good news is that Amsterdam is mostly self-sufficient. So this gift aid, very little is going to them. In fact, what's going to them is just to help with flights and conferences and the things that we want the leaders to be at. But in terms of the running of the church, hey, they've got a place where they're now kind of uh, largely self-sufficient and looking now to give outside themselves as a child of this church, as it were. Berlin, also not in the same place yet, but getting there. 
And there's other ones like Krakow and Belfast and the Shoots. Have no one on the ground yet giving into that. So we get the privilege of upholding them, taking care of the needy within our community. Jesus teaches selflessness, the principle of giving and not holding onto your own life. It's interesting looking at this community uh, back in Acts because they could have held on to what they wanted. But if they held on to too long, they would have lost it anyway. Because eventually persecution comes. Eventually everything they have gets plundered and taken off them anyway. If they'd held on to it, they would have lost it anyway. But actually by sowing into God's kingdom, by giving it away, they gained the blessing of eternal blessings, as the Bible tells us, and the blessing of knowing, hey, we get to help in the moment. And when they got plundered, they're like, well, it doesn't matter. I haven't got anything. I've given it to God already. Very much mirroring the verse in Matthew 16. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Let me encourage you, when you give away today, you can't be a loser. And God knows your needs, is well able to provide you in this life and the next. Third point, as a grace-filled community, it says this in verse 33, and great grace was upon them all. Now we could read this in a number of ways, great grace. Maybe it was just, they just knew the grace of God on them in terms of the Holy Spirit, just blessing them and uh, enlarging their hearts for what he wanted to do. And, uh, but maybe it was a sense of uh, grace in terms of the community, knowing just God's love in the way they were built together. Or maybe it was grace versus law, a sense of works, or any sense of legalism. And that's what I just want to quickly just focus upon. When it comes to giving, it's so important that it comes from a place of grace. We don't want to do it from a place of, kind of legalism or law or what we should do or feeling some compulsion. The Bible warns against that. So do not give that away. That's not pleasing. No, we're to do it from faith, based upon grace, upon what Jesus has done. Jesus has poured himself out for us, given us what we don't deserve. The gospel, the good news, it is scandalous. Not one of us deserves the love of God. We've all done and thought and said things that deserve us being cut off from him. But instead of being cut off, He's brought us close by dying on the cross. He was cut off so we could be brought near. And we know his great grace in our lives. And this grace is applied here as well. God's not saying, right, now to kind of earn your way in, you must give this amount. To earn grace, you must live in this certain way. No, he's saying, but you have grace in your life. Now live in the good of it. And grace draws out goodness from people. When you try and legislate love, when you kind of legislate unity, it gets ugly pretty quickly. And people have tried to do that down the centuries, trying to kind of legislate kind of equal shares of people. But it ends up being an oppressive thing. It ends up being something that ties people up and people kick against and rebel against. But when love comes, when grace comes, it changes. And when it's seen in a person particularly, I know when I'm asked to do something, sometimes I might reject it. But if I'm asked by someone I love, so I know who loves me, he's got the best of me to do it. I'm like, oh yeah, sure, no worries. I'd love to help you out. But my attitude can flip so quickly. I could be a bit fickle maybe with that. But when you apply it to this, when Jesus, the lover of our soul, says, hey, come on a mission with me. It's not like, oh, okay, come on then. It's like, oh, Jesus, I'd love to. What a privilege to be involved in the things that you're involved in. This wasn't to be an oppressive thing, but to be a thing of life giving grace to them. Grace to the whole community. My last point is Barnabas owned the mission. 
He's held up as an example. Now, everyone else was doing it, but he's held up as an example for it because he was the son of encouragement. That's the nickname he's given. It says, thus Joseph, his name is Joseph, who is also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. I don't know if you have nicknames. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. I've had a few down through my life. As a kid, I was called Step Hen. You spoke out, out Stephen, that's what it spells. So I was out for a little season. I thought it was very cool when I was eight. I was like, hey, you could call me this. Um, I was called Stevie D uh, for a section of my life. Stavros. Um, not even sure where that one came from, but my brother still calls me it. And uh, I now on staff often get called Dawson because we have lots of Stevens on staff, and, uh, which was a bit weird to me because that's kind of my brother's name. Uh, that's what I call him. And of course, Jesse. Um, which came about because when I was a fresher here, in the first couple of weeks I was here, someone accidentally introduced me as Jesse to a large group of people, and it stuck. And so if you were around here the first two years, I was at, uh, what was CCK, you would have thought my name was Jesse. And so you might try to find my name on, on Facebook, and I was like, no, my name was Jesse. And uh, it was only when I got married that we kind of drew a line, and said, okay, no more of this fake name, we're not having it. It's Stephen. And it is Stephen, not Steve, in case you're wondering. And uh, some of you here are calling me Steve. Uh, I just want to break that right now. I, I do not take that from you. There's nothing wrong with the name Steve, but just Steve is more dignified, and uh, I could do with all the dignified I can get. Okay. Jesse. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I get called Jesse, Steve-O, and Stevie, Jesse. Everything's going to come at me now, isn't it? Anyway, but Barnabas, he has a nickname. He gets called the son of encouragement. Feel free to call me that as well. And, uh, and uh, they've picked him out. And uh, he, the apostles gave it to him. These sent ones, these ones who are leading on the mission, they're saying, hey, this Barnabas, he really is an encouragement to us. He's an encouragement to the mission. And we see this played out in his life in three different occasions. This first occasion, he's just there saying, hey, I love being part of this community. Let me do everything I can to encourage the one heart and soulness of it. And let me help me encourage the fact that it's a grace-filled community. It's a loving community. I'm going to join it. I'm going to sell my field. And we don't know how valuable that field. It might be a very, very valuable field. It might be a field they had back in Cyprus. He was a Cypriot, so it might be a, a valuable kind of uh, uh, fruitful field. It might be a field that was particularly sentimental to him. I don't know. But he gave it to him. And he's saying, no, I want to give this because I want to encourage the mission. I want to encourage the apostles in what we've been called to do. That's the way it was in his life and time. But later in his life, he sticks his neck out for the Apostle Saul. So the Apostle Paul, who was Saul, who was persecuting the church, he becomes a Christian, he arrives in Jerusalem, and he says, hey, can I talk to you about the fact that I've become a Christian? They're like, no, 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 you're a murderer, you hate Christians, we're not letting you in. But Barnabas gets to know him, gets to know his story, and becomes an advocate, comes to encourage Paul, say, no, no, persist, and encourages the Apostles to let him in, and joins them together. He sticks his neck out and helping to build the church and build a, a base in which the church is going to go out from. And later still in Barnabas' life, he doesn't just give to the mission, he goes on the mission. He joins the Apostle Paul and starts travelling around to other churches and cities and encouraging them and helping to plant and start churches. He rolls his sleeves up and jumps right in. He is giving himself to the mission wherever he finds himself. Choosing to be an encouragement wherever he finds himself. Building the church and encouraging others to do likewise. It reminds me of the story in Exodus where the people of God are given the job of building the tabernacle, a place for God to come and meet them. And each person is involved. 
Every person is involved in bringing their gifts, their gold, their silver, their jewels, their yarns, their word, whatever it is, bringing the materials that this tabernacle might be made. And then some are commissioned to then actually do the building, to do the craftsmanship of it. And yet still others are commissioned to be the priests, to serve it and to serve the people and serve God in that way. The same with us. Each of us are called to build the church. All of us are called to go on mission. I mean, it looks different at different stages. Maybe you're like Barnabas right now in Acts chapter 4. Actually, I'm not, I'm not going anywhere in particular, but I know what I can do. I can give. And then maybe you have fields that you can sell. Maybe you just have a few pennies in your wallet. It's not about the amount. It's about the heart. Saying, I want to encourage this. I want to be all in God. Show me what I can give for the sake of this. Maybe some of you are about a bit like the one about Barnabas in his stage of life where he is kind of helping sort into church, having to build the church, kind of putting your hands in. It's like, how can I serve? How can I go on further? Maybe leading this church or serving in this church. And maybe others of you still are like Barnabas, ready to go. Saying, you know what? Actually, there's a city in my heart. There's a place in my heart that I need to go. Maybe that's you. You get to be an encouragement to go elsewhere. Wherever we are, let's be on mission. Whatever stage we're at, let's be on mission. But if you're aware that Acts 4 Barnabas is, you're just in the place of giving, let it still be radical. Barnabas starts with a contribution to the mission, the way he continues to go about it, with great zeal and courage. It does take boldness to uproot your life and go and start a church somewhere else. That's why we commend Richard and Tyler Crosby in Ottawa. We commend the Joneses and, uh, um, and the other people, the Simmonses and the Lashes and the Makushis. These guys are going other places. It takes great boldness. But it also takes great boldness to say, God, what would I give to your kingdom? What is it you would have me give? And doing it in a radical way. Have you asked God recently what you should be giving to him? what you should be selling for him. Not just for gift day, but for just regular giving to him. Barnabas sold stuff. He didn't just give what was left over. He gave what we felt was right. Once as Terry Berger say, he gave what was right, not what was left. And that's helped me time and time again. God, if I'm just giving you the leftovers, then I've got this wrong. I want to give you what is right. What are you calling me to do that I might walk into obedience? Giving into God's mission also kept Barnabas light for the mission. Hey, God knew he was going to call him to go. Maybe Barnabas didn't know that at that point. He thought, no, I'm in Jerusalem. This is my home. I'm staying. I'm doing my mission from here. God was like, yeah, not so much. You're going to sell your fields and I'm preparing your heart for when you are ready to go. Maybe for you, you think, oh, I'm just Acts 4, Barnabas. I'm just meant to be giving. Well, I'm praying some of you get a surprise down the road. And God says, ah, and now it's time to go. Now it's time to go somewhere new. So that's like the guys who've gone church planting, started church out of us. You know, I don't know whether they always knew it was in their heart to go. I know it was for Neville Jones. Neville Jones, we sent him to help the, the Berlin church and uh, he was meant to be gone for kind of five days. Five years later, <laughs> be warned. Okay, we do these gifts not just to give our money, but to make more Barnabases, make more people who are like in and ready to go when God says go. To understand it another way, when we understand the greatness of the mission that Jesus calls us to, we begin to become free from all our other priorities, concerns and agendas, which could otherwise bind us up, like the cares of the world, 
the parable of Sodia says, the cares of the world, they can bind us up. They can stop us from being fruitful. Gift days, they just chop weeds off of the roots. So it was just walk into what God has for us. And we might be free from the weeds to serve Jesus and do great exploits. It's a great goal and great adventures. One of our other core values is stay inspired. We're meant to be people who are inspired by the Christian life. If your Christian life's got boring recently, go and sell a field. If your Christian life's got bored recently, say, God, where would you have me go? Go and do some exciting things for him and with him. Whatever stage of life you're at, maybe you've got some crossroads coming up anyway. Maybe it's an easy prayer to pray. Maybe you are so solid and stable here right now, you're thinking, how could I ever go? Well, I would hold up Alan and Marianne Preston. I think it's probably the third Sunday they've been mentioned. Hey, they went again. They could have just stayed here, kind of worked out their retirement in the city they know, knowing their kids are nearby, that kind of stuff. They thought, no, we're going to go again. Alan's leading another church now, you know, well into his 60s. You're not too old to be doing the things that God has got for you. You're not too comfortable. Break out of that. Say, God, what will you have me do? Let me conclude by saying this. Jesus is the greater Barnabas. It's good to look at the examples of others, but ultimately we want to look to Jesus. He is the creator of this unified and loving and gracious community. And it's his mission. He did more than just sell a field. No, he sold his life. He gave over his life and by his blood, he might buy a family for himself. That he might bring us home. He might pay for our sin. Barnabas left the comfort of his home ultimately to go and tell the others the good news. Jesus left the comfort of heaven to come to us. Barnabas was nicknamed the son of encouragement. But Jesus is the ultimate encourager. He's the one who gives us courage and strength by the Holy Spirit. If you're not feeling very encouraged right now, say, God, come and by your Holy Spirit, give me courage. Give me strength. Give me guidance. Give me direction. Let me know your love and grace. Breathing into you. Breathe in his love and grace and breathe out worship to him. Yes, in song, but with all your life, including your giving uh, this morning. I ask the band to come and join me and uh, I'm going to pray for us and I'll direct us with what we're doing next. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much uh, for the example of men and women down through uh, history who've taken you seriously, taken you at your word and decided to lay their whole life uh, down for you in all kinds of ways, including financially. And thank you we get to follow in their stead. And I thank you just even for the history in this church where we have literally given millions upon millions of pounds to you and to your work. And Lord, I just pray we wouldn't tire in doing good but you might encourage us again to say, God, what is it you would have me give? Knowing that you know all that I have, you know my various needs, Lord God, but you're able to meet them all. And it's a privilege for us to be involved. God, I pray, help us to grab hold of your grace once again, that we would not do this out of any sense of legalism, any sense of trying to earn your love. Thank you, we already have it perfectly. There's nothing we can do to make you love us more. There's nothing we can do to make you love us less. And we might enjoy the goodness of that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.